On this episode, we're chatting with Doug Hollinger, VP of Strategy at BVA, a leading Shopify and TTC agency that has since been acquired by The Stable, a commerce agency known for bringing some of the world's most exciting brands into major retailers. For our first agency episode in 2022, we completely tear down the value prop of working with an agency and how and why finding the right agency partner is crucial to growth. We also chat about why subscriptions are so valuable in today's e-commerce, as well as how to scale your subscriptions program, ending with a look forward and a few predictions for e-commerce trends in 2022. So let's get started. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Pleased to be here, Chase. Thanks for inviting me. So give us a little bit of information about yourself and about BVA. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm the VP of strategy at BVA. I've been here, it'll be two years in February. So right before uh, COVID and all that. So that was, that was fun. Um, I basically at BVA own two groups, the strategists who work with clients on retainer a lot, basically to grow their businesses online. And then of course that's backed up and, and driven a lot by the data and analytics. So they're, they're go nicely together. Um, BVA, you know, is a full service Shopify oriented agency. So we do everything from performance marketing, you know, helping customers with customer acquisition all the way through building their solutions and, and UX, UI design work. Um, and again, all the way through to helping them grow their business going forward. So uh, a lot of our work is, I would say 70% of our work is on retainer. And then the rest of it's, you know, kind of build projects, launching new websites and that kind of stuff. Perfect. Appreciate the intro. And then I think that there is a, there's one other thing we got to tackle right before we hop in. Uh, and it was a press release that went out recently, but I'll let you take the, uh, the announcement. So go ahead. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, BVA was just recently acquired along with Zayner, who uh, competes with us in that space in a, in a friendly way, um, by the stable. So uh, we're really excited about that. We are kind of it's, it's new to all of us, but we're kind of working on the integration planning so that we can jump into Q1 and, and hit the ground running. But we're real excited about what Zayner uh, offers and, and melding in with us. There's actually not a horrible amount of overlap and, and you know, everybody's keeping their jobs and all that good stuff. Uh, but married in with what the stable already does, working with um, large marketplaces like Amazon and, and Target, as well as kind of helping people with omni-channel commerce uh, we're really excited about kind of this unique um, entity that they're building. So I'm, I'm excited. My team's excited and, and we're going to see uh, what the new year brings. So, Huge congrats to you and everyone at BVA and Zayner, uh, two of my favorite agencies to work with. Uh, you hit the nail on the head though. Omnichannel is one of those kind of buzzwords that it's hard to really define, but a lot of people are talking about this. And I think as, as you move into this acquisition, you know, BVA and Zayner and Stable all kind of having different different specializations mm-hmm. really brings you the best of, of all of the worlds that are out there. And that's kind of what the, the point of on the channel is. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes, you know, you're working a lot on, on online and people say, hey, I want help going into a target. I need another strategy. You, you kind of have to hand them off all the time. So again, you know, we've got the expertise across all of those things now. And I think it's exciting even for us internally just to expand our own knowledge and and sort of um, get really creative about helping customers, regardless of whether where their customers shop and, and how they shop. So we're leading right into the into the topic today, which uh, we're going to start with kind of this idea of how to find the right agency partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just again kind of nailing it right before you. I, I can even get into it, which is that a lot of times agencies are really specialized, which is a good thing because they they're really really deep in a certain field. But as you kind of look at, you know, how do we do CPG? How do we do D2C? Do we want to get into like a Target or Walmart, something like that? Those are all different specializations. So 
I guess I'll just ask the broad question. How, how do you find the right agency partner? Is that a mix of let's find someone giant? Is it a mix of let's find a specialization? How do you think about that? Yeah, and I think with a lot of things, maybe I'm, I've consulted a long time. I think the answer depends. Um, I think it is built on relationship. Um, and so if you're somebody that likes to, like you said, get the, the best from each thing, like you go to a restaurant, I only eat this thing here and this thing here, um, then you know that's fine. But that puts a lot of pressure on you as the business to integrate all of that. And if there are handoffs or places where these things rub together, you've got to figure out you know, where the problem is or, or where the opportunities or the gaps are. So that puts a lot of onus on you as the business. I think one advantage to, to going with somebody who's a little more broad-based and, and offers a range of services, uh, assuming those services fit your needs, is, is you have the ability to sort of tie things together and, and work with sort of one person or one, one group, right, that can, that can really get to know your business and, and supply things across. So again, assuming they've got talent across all those areas and all of that. But I think, um, you know, this all boils down to just like any business, it's about relationships. It's about um, being able to adapt over time. So I think the answer you have this year, you know, if you're a $2 million business, uh, D2C business, and you start scaling and you get to be 50 million or 100 million, your needs are going to shift as well. So um, you may need to change your partnerships to scale with you if they can't handle it. Um, or you may need to have different expectations. So part of it is just looking at yourself honestly and saying, how much handholding do I need? Where are my strengths? What do I want to own? What are you going to do? It's just like at home, you're going to divvy up the, the chores or the tasks or what have you, and that needs to be a good fit. And then um, we do this with our own clients, sometimes implicitly, sometimes explicitly. You know, Where are you in your life cycle of growth? Where are you um, in terms of your needs? And in some cases, it makes sense to hand back things to them as they scale and they want to start driving the engine themselves. And so you have to be adaptable as well and not just, um, you know, try to tie people to you where they can't get out of things or, or give them proprietary solutions they can't get help with from anybody else. I think you, you want to find a partner that's got your best interests in mind and then is very um, willing to talk with you about those things on a regular basis and, and make sure it's working for everybody. The best answers to any question always start with it depends, which is frustrating, but also great because that means that you're actually caring about individual businesses because someone who sells socks on subscription is a lot different than someone who does a meal delivery kit. It's totally yep. different verticals, totally different sales, totally different target audience. So um, you're right in that it is totally different and that every unique piece changes and it depends on, on a lot of different features. When we talk about onboarding, what are some of these pros and cons to where you know, a merchant may actually find a dev partner that they like, find an agency partner. That's great. Fantastic. If you're looking for a bigger agency that maybe has five or six different offerings versus a, a single offering, is it just time-based? Like where, where's the value here in, in onboarding? How long does that process take? Yeah, for us, uh, in most cases, an onboarding, I would say is, you know, uh, formally or the way we'd say is probably three to four weeks because mm -hmm. we're going to come in and we're going to across all these um, parts of your business. We're going to want to peel back the covers or look, look underneath and see what's there. Right. So we'll do some audits. We'll do some questions with you. We'll sit down and ask you strategic questions. What are you trying to drive toward? Because everything we do should be based on an outcome that could be measured an outcome that we all agree on. So we have to set the signpost out there or, or the end Right? It's just like a GPS. If I don't know where I'm going, then yeah, I have a hundred different routes, but I don't know if, if it's working. So a lot of that is just setting the groundwork. So we have a baseline of understanding about the business. We get to know you and acclimate, you get to know the team. And then we basically um, 
you know, go from there and, and build an initial set of plans and, and a roadmap and, and then execute against it. I think that onboarding though, like I said before, it never really stops. So I think it, it often takes maybe six months for people to get really acclimated to a partner um, and, and the partner really understand your business because um, especially if it's a newer subscription client, for example, they, they may not have enough data for us to sort of see patterns or see where there's an obvious gap. Um, and so I think, again, that it does depend on kind of the history of your business. If this is something new to you, is this something that's core to your offering um, versus something that you're, you're kind of dipping your toe in? So, um, you know, we try to get it all up front, though, and, and set the expectation. It maybe takes up to a month for, the, for us to really get under there, understand everything, talk amongst ourselves about how this fits together, and then come back with, with um, you know, kind of an action plan. But then again, I think you want to you want to revisit this at least on a quarterly basis um, because the business itself is going to shift opportunities come up and then kind of do a little mini discovery or a little mini reintro um, all the time and not, not pretend, you know, everything. So let's double tap on that. So then, so what does success look like? Is it, is it duration of projects? Is it how long emergent will stay signed with an agency as a retainer? What, what does success look like? Not, not from like a merchant KPI, but how does, how does maybe a merchant determine like this relationship is successful? Yeah, I think it goes back to again: Is this a uh, a fit for what I need, and does this does this vendor understand what I'm trying to do and bring some value where I don't have to drive everything? If all we're doing is like a short order cook taking orders for fries over and over again, um, that's not really a lot of value, right? So I think part of it is um, culture fit. Part of it is um, again those range of services that that fit your needs. It's at a price point you can afford. It's in the right you know, geolocation, for example, people are available. But again, um, it's also your ability to scale with that business. And so it shouldn't be something where you have to sort of swap out an agency every six to 12 months. That That's really, again, then you got new people learning all the time. You're going to lose things in translation. Um, agencies don't always hand off to each other smoothly. And let's just call it what it is. Yep. <laughs> so I think, um, or you have people that build in stuff to try to make themselves indispensable. And now you got to untie those knots. So again, I think you want to find a partner that can scale with you. It doesn't mean you have to know what's coming. And then, you know, nobody right now can look past 12, 18 months with any accuracy. If even 12, 18 or 12 months is. That's, is that's aggressive, right? You have a plan yeah. and then you, and you write it in pencil or sticky notes, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's one thing we look for and try to talk to clients about too is resiliency and, and adapt, adaptiveness. So you want a, an agency that can do that as, as well, but also be honest about where they're, um, where they kind of run out of their own rope. What are things that we're not as good at, or maybe we need to evolve with you? What are some things that you need to go find another partner and, then, and maybe we all work together? So I think finding somebody that's also, um, you know, ha has an ability to, to talk honestly and forthrightly about what they do well, what they don't, where you can learn stuff together. And if it's something that, that you trust them on, then again, I think you can help, um, help grow together in a way that that's beneficial to everybody. I like to break things down into really simple terms. Is is it fair to say then that an agency, assuming you find the right one, is a literal extension of your your in your internal team? Yeah, I think so. Um, just like your channels are an extension of your business, right? Like they're dependent, and so I think that in the best scenario, the the agency partner or your vendor 
is an extension. They, they enable your business just like anything else. Um, it, it helps that you don't have to go hire some people maybe you don't need all the time or that you're getting specific expertise. It's, it's plugging gaps. It's also somebody that can, as they get to know your business, again, share their ideas, just like good employees do. They, they get invested in your success and, and therefore are an extension of kind of your, your overarching story and, your, and as you grow and, and scale. And like you said, you kind of do these audits quarterly or, or semi-annually, and that kind of keeps you at a gut check in the same way you do maybe like an employee review as you kind of Correct. do this kind of look back and you say what's working, what's not, what do we want to take in-house, what do we want to empower them to do more of, and it's kind of a similar relationship. Yeah, and in some ways, you know, in, in an ideal scenario, um, we're learning from each other, and we have a lot of times where you see the client, the light bulb goes on, especially if they're a newer brand, maybe they're very focused on their product. And D to C or subscriptions are new to them, whatever the case is. Um, and so you want them to get better. You're doing a good job, I think, as a consulting partner when, when you make other people smarter. And eventually that may feel like you're, you know, teaching somebody out of your own work. But I think, you know, this is a, this is a um, kind of small world. And over time, clients come back to you again or you'll, they'll go somewhere else and you, and you meet them. So, again, it's very relational. And... Um, I think in the in the best scenarios, that's the kind of um, that's the kind of situation you want. And and making other people better is always a good idea. I think just in general. Totally agree. For everything that you can teach someone else, they'll teach you something, and that ends up growing your business anyway. So while you said, like you said, you know, you may be teaching someone out of your own skills, they're equally teaching you something to learn and grow, and somewhere you can help someone else. So I think there's always a push and pull there. Yeah. And, and, you know, you see a lot of times where a client, the client is a, itself a, a collection of people. And sometimes those people go other places and we get business from those new places because they had a good experience. And so again, you, you, the more you can do that and just be a good citizen, be a good neighbor, so to speak, I think the better in general. And um, you are an extension of the team because I think you're also um, no client has a unique product where nobody else sells anything like it typically totally so you're also bringing that perspective you're getting from other people without necessarily you know sharing proprietary information but they're getting smarter and we're getting smarter every time we talk to each other so the advantage of being a consultant if you like variety is you get to talk to like eight or ten clients a month and you get all this experience but you don't always get to see things through um, all the way or own it completely and then the flip side on the client, you know, they get to borrow some of that life experience that if they hired one employee, they would get that employee's view. But here they're kind of getting that by osmosis, I guess, all, all this other experience. Um, and so I think it's, it's very beneficial when you have the right mix of personalities, when it's a good relationship and you can trust each other, uh, you can do really good things. I want to move into that client side and, and dig into that a lot more, but I have one more question for you here. I think it's always important to talk through failures as much as it is wins. Right. Um, what happens when these relationships don't work out? What happens when, you know, you may do a little bit of fleshing out and kind of figure out this relationship is going to work and then you dig in and turns out it actually doesn't. What are, what are some of those negative consequences? And then kind of by association, how, how does that again, make you really enforce that finding the right partner is a huge deal? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's all about people. And so I think sometimes even as a, a, a partner, you might have the wrong person assigned, whatever the case is, right? It's just a, a misalignment in expectations. Um, so I think uh, as speaking as a vendor, a lot of times we're learning who we work better with, what we can offer. 
and it kind of helps train you in the, in the right way. You shouldn't just take any business that comes in the door because it may not be a fit and you're probably not going to be successful and uh, you're going to leave people unhappy. So I think the more we can, we can learn from that as vendors and, and support staff to, to go in with our eyes open and kind of realize when it's going to work. I think on the, on, on the merchant side, um, again, take that. If it doesn't work or you're struggling, look at yourself and say, you know, is there a reason I'm going through vendors at a record pace here? If I have to keep swapping people out every six months, something's off. Either my ability to assess talent, my ability to understand what I'm asking for, or maybe I'm just looking at the, the wrong kind of scale. So, um, and again, they're often right clients that they themselves, they might have staff turnover and things like that that's impacting this. So part of this is just being uh, real with yourself and saying, how am I contributing to this? How can I avoid this in the future? Um, and taking feedback, even if it's not given in the best uh, emotional state, sometimes let it calm down and sort of think through it and say, what can I learn from this? And what can I, what can I, how can I avoid this in the future? I think you, you just try to, um, in the end, not have, not assume bad intentions or ill intent. I think a lot of it is just a, a mismatch or maybe poor communication a lot of times. There's a story there about uh, taking taking feedback in a not great emotional state, but maybe we'll, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> yes, that's a whole uh, probably dissertation. <laughs> so let's move a little bit more to the client side um, and dig into to your role a bit more. So when merchants do come to you uh, saying you either want to launch subscription program or scale a subscription program, your role as VP of strategy, how, what are some of the first steps you take? How do you kind of dig into this and figure out what, what your initial steps are? Yeah, I think so. I and my team, well, when we're talking to clients, you know, you, you have this first impression of what they're trying to do and whatever the client's able to articulate. Um, and then like we talked about, we're going to still go do our own assessment. So you're telling us some things, we're going to go want to do some observation, look at your data, et cetera. And then, um, and then part of our job is to talk, as we've sort of alluded to before, is um, there's different kinds of subscription, there's different kinds of ways to be successful and different business go-to-market models, et cetera. So we try to work through that and just make sure that we're aligned on um, the approach. It's also important to help people understand that this is also evolutionary. So what makes sense right now, we may have to lay a, a foundation and then build upon it. So sometimes it's also just that mix of forward thinking, longer term view. Again, we can't look too far out right now, but here's where we're heading. And then being able to break that down into those chunks you talked about and sort of build it step by step. Because a lot of times when people, I think, kind of get over their ski tips or they have trouble is there's a missing foundational part of their business or the model. And that kind of messes everything else up. So the more we can kind of help them avoid that, mistake and make sure that we've got all the bases covered, the better, right? Whether that's a inventory issue, it might be a product issue itself, it might be a, the way we're setting up the subscription program, but um, you want to make sure that we've kind of lit, lined up all those ducks and that there's not something, uh, you know, the big gaps are accounted for. And then I think it's just um, helping people understand options because we're not the ultimate decision maker. And so the client needs to feel enabled that they know enough to make decisions, but not sit there and get overwhelmed by choice. And so um, what I see is people tend to go one of two paths. They'll either say, I want to do it just like all these other people that look like me in the industry, and they get a little bit co copycat. Um, but again, that's a reason you 
go to some solutions like a Shopify, like a recharge, et cetera, is you guys have already done this. You've kind of taken the learnings from things and distilled it down. So we want a little bit of that, right? To, how do I take the best learnings from other people have already worked through and leverage it? And then what, to what extent do I need to make this custom, make this fit, be unique a little bit? And I think walking that through is another thing we really try to work on with clients. Where are you right now in your own growth cycle, in your own life cycle as a business, in your own ability to be successful? And it and it's not just the technology you're picking, right? It, it's also all these other things that have to go together to, to make a success uh, with subscription. Because the technology doesn't do the work. The technology just empowers merchants and the agencies to do the work. So yeah. like just simply choosing the platform isn't really going to do anything. You actually have to make it make sure it works. Yeah. And I try to, I mean, I've been around a long time. I'm an old dog in the space, right? Like the technology now is so amazing compared to what it used to be. You have to kind of, you used to have like find parts and put it together. And now you guys are making these incredible things that are really available to make a business act bigger than it is probably. All right. Act more sophisticated than it is. And, and they don't have to worry about all that and come up with it each time. But at the same time, um, again, you got to be realistic about who you are, where you are and kind of go uh, at your, at your pace and um, be, be flexible enough to, to adapt as, as you need to. So I won't be the judge of saying we make things easier or better than anyone else, but hopefully there's a, a public opinion court that'll support. Absolutely. <laughs> there's a reason people come in, right? And, and exactly. Them. Exactly. So that's actually where, where I want to go next is um, how, how, how frequently when you have these conversations do do merchants come in and say, here's what I want. And you do your audit and you say, perfect, let's do it. Versus having someone saying, here's what I want. You know, my competitor is doing this and you have to take a step back and go, you know, there's X, Y, Z thing that's missing before we can get to that. Do merchants usually have an idea of where they're at or do they come to you thinking like, I want to do this thing now when realistically it should be an eight month project? Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, it's very rare that somebody says, I want to come in and do this exactly like this and everything's already perfectly lined out because otherwise, why would they, they wouldn't need to come to us, you know, in, in a sense. Just the I would say, right. So it might be that they're saying, you know, I'm going to move off this proprietary thing I've got or it evolved weird and now I'm going to go and move to recharge or or what have you, right? And I want to go forward from and from my infancy to new my my teen years, or however right. you want, whatever analogy you want. Um, oftentimes, though, those clients, if if they if subscription is core to their business model and the way they go to market, um, then I think they they usually have some really good instincts around their customers and segmentation and things like that. We're often supplementing that that knowledge with again knowledge from other businesses or even other verticals and sort of trying to take those learnings. And so that's a little less of a lift and it's usually more, um, you can focus on sort of incremental improvements and optimization. Um, I think a lot of times though, we have a client that um, they're not sure, they know subscription kind of works, but maybe it's not their core, they're not that comfortable yet. Um, and so again, we have to kind of assess their own ability to, um, again, should we start them off with kind of the starter kit version or, or the basics and kind of ramp up the business? Because again, you need, even if they're relying on somebody like us who has a lot of expertise, you have to plug into the client's business and they have to really understand some of the decisions that they're being called to make. It's their money, it's their investment, their platform. Um, and so I'd say uh, 50, you know, at least 50% of the time, we're doing a lot of that even down to the model itself, like what kind of subscription program, um, how does this tie into things like loyalty? Um, and then again, some clients, if they're newer um, companies, they're maybe 
growing rapidly, but they're kind of scrambling around. They haven't really thought through in a sophisticated way um, how to measure success in a subscription business. They know it from like maybe a high level e-com KPIs, but even that I'm surprised sometimes that people just don't really grasp what, what levers impact other levers, what, what things in the business rely on each other, right? If you just look at the funnel. So I think, um, and the subscription business has its own subtleties and its own KPIs and its own way to measure and use data that sometimes we're doing a lot of that, again, educational work, and then sort of they're relying on us to go into the weeds a little bit and look around and say, here's some learnings we can glean. Let's, let's feed that back into the way you're developing products, the way you're presenting your offerings and all of that stuff. Because subscription also, um, these are things people interact with all the time. So it's the whole customer experience. It's not just that getting them to sign up or, you know, looking at how long people typically stick around because I think you, you need to have a really good understanding of why things are happening. And maybe there's a difference between different types of customers, different segments in, in your um, customer base. And so it can get pretty complicated. And I think that's part of it is just what should we focus on right now and not have to focus on everything and get confused. There's a ton in there. And I think that kind of adequately explains why you're frankly good at your job. But I think what, what you were just doing is kind of just explaining the customer process and you know what people think about it from an agency perspective, but you're really making the, the case for why an agency partner is valuable is that a lot of times merchants come into the process and they say, you know, I want to do subscriptions, but they don't understand, is it is this a curation model? Is this an access model? Is this a subscribe and save model? What kind of KPIs are we looking at? What's the, how was the acquisition plan? How are we doing retention? What's the full UI UX process? How do you make sure people go through the whole checkout flow? All of that stuff, it all works together. And then you layer on top of those integrations. Now you start talking about the Clavios of the world, the gorgeous of the world, the loyalties, all of those kind of things get so complicated that you then dump all those opportunities in front of a merchant's lap and they go, I, I need some help here. And that's where you can leverage other verticals and experiences and all those things from an agency perspective. So I think it's super, super valuable, even just to kind of understand the whole process. Yeah. And even if you're doing this every day, right, you're in I, a lot of our clients, the merchants, they get called all the times by different vendors. I got a new improved mousetrap. Uh, it's really hard to stay on top of all of that, right? All the things you're mentioning, that's just a, a kind of cross-section of all the things that are out there and it changes all the time. Not to mention there's new feature rollouts from the existing vendors you have, et cetera. So I think that's another thing that you should look for going back to what we were saying in a vendor relationship, how plugged in are they to this ecosystem? Because at some point you may have stuff that's redundant. You don't need all of it, or maybe you're, you're outgrowing your solution. What do I do next? Right. Instead of going custom or just um, dealing with the pain. So I think, all of that together, um, it has to be looked at holistically, just like your supply chain and your fulfillment and all of that has to be holistically looked at um, because otherwise you could, you could have you know, the best model in the world, but if you can't execute it properly and you don't know how to read your business in near real time, you're, you're too far delayed in getting data about what's really happening. Uh, that's what we see people get sideways. You're absolutely spot on. The, the piece that overlays all of that is time. I mean, you turn yeah. the access, you have your Z access. And over time, like you may nail all of that stuff, your supply chain, your logistic, all that kind of stuff. And six months later, it's totally different. And you have to refigure <laughs> out all of these new things. So absolutely spot on. It's, it's really interesting to hear you talk through all of these opportunities and possibilities and problems, but problems always present solutions. And it just depends how you want to solve those issues. Yep. Because if you're dealing with them, a lot of times your competitor, competitors are as well, right? And they could actually turn into, 
advantages if you if you think of it that way and you embrace the the chance to to tackle it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of flip it and look at the other side. Let's let's assume all of those pieces are are in order and they're set up. Um, when you start to look at scale, how does that kind of change your thought process? Is it still the you know make sure everything's working together, make sure everything's fluent, or is there a different thought process behind it? I think with scale, scale is interesting because it also it, it does have a time element. Like how rapidly am I scaling? Because it, it's just like a road or something. If you build it, uh, you know, I'm two lane highway. I got to go to four, but really you just built a bunch of houses out there in the burbs and now you should have a 16 lane highway or trains or something else. Right. I, that's a bad analogy, but um, it, it's how fast you're scaling. And then it's, again, I think people look to the solutions sometimes instead of thinking through their whole business, because it might be that we can again, build all the stuff, but if you don't have the people to run it and think on their feet and kind of adjust to the data that's coming in um, it might be an organizational issue, not, not an infrastructure issue. And so with scale, uh, I think that's when I, as a consultant, would look a lot more at your operations, um, not just supply chain, not just fulfillment, all that. Because those are things that are easier for us to say, here's, our, here's your options. Here's what other people have done and kind of build that in. But I think that's where, um, you know, we, we see businesses go truly from, again, 2 million to 100 million to 200 million. And if they're doing that quickly, um, it can really get out of hand from an organizational perspective and an operations perspective that way. So um, that's where I, I think that's where they're gonna fail. It's not so much that Recharge is gonna fail or Shopify is gonna fail or what have you. Um, it's, it's that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing anymore and you haven't really planned for those contingencies. And so um, that's one thing we talked a lot about. I would say I focus a lot more on clients at that point on org structure and the scale internally because again, if you have the right people there, you can decide, am I going to hire a team? Am I going to acquire somebody? Am I going to go partner with more agencies? Um, am I going to go partner with other businesses? Um, but you need to be, you need to kind of understand what the trigger points on each of those decisions is. Where, where is my break? Um, where are my single points of failure? You know, where am I really running into throughput uh, capacity issues? Um, and so a lot of times, you know, again, there's plenty of data, there's plenty of stuff to look at. There's just nobody that knows what to do with it, or they're so bogged down in other decisions that, that they can't succeed. You know, a lot of these brands that we work with, they're founder led and driven. And just like any business at some point, the founder maybe needs to bring in other people and get help and they can't micromanage as much. And so I think, uh, again, it's not, a it's not a sexy answer necessarily. I'll go buy a new thing or go headless or whatever. It's you yourself have to scale and grow as a company and have some adaptability and flexibility and make sure you have the right uh, people on board and the right structure so that again, you can, you can kind of fly the plane using the instruments versus, um, you know, used to be really close to land and everything was pretty simple. It's a, uh, it's a bit of a cart before the horse issue sometimes is you want to try to scale, but you got to figure out if your organization can handle the scale at the first place. And that's got to kind of be built out in the first place. And, and oftentimes with CEOs, we, we see this over and over again across all organizations that the guy who has the idea or the girl who has the idea is not necessarily the best person to be scaling the operation. So it's yep. a totally different role. So while you may yeah. be good at the startup, the zero to one phase, the one to 10 phase is totally different. And not to say that there's no, there's no credit, there's no valor in that, but a lot of people need help. And that's where the agencies can step in. 
Well, and and at some scale, this you run into problems that can break your business pretty fast, right? And you don't want to learn on the job at that point. It's easy to learn on the job if you're going from two to three million or two to four million. If you're going from 20 million to 100 million in a in a year or something, you you don't have time to do that. That's where again, same reason you'd hire us is the same reason you build out your team. You need to bring people that already know the questions to ask, already know where to go look for, you know, rust in the pipes, whatever analogy you want to use. They know where these things are and what to avoid. And again, you're you're buying, you're paying for expertise so that you don't have to relearn these issues and hit your head on the same thing over and over. And I think um, the other thing with scale that's interesting is um, a lot of times people scale as well by adding on to their kind of historical catalog or their historical offering. They just I, add more just, products or just add more, more products or different categories of products, or maybe they're going to partner with some other people and do some interesting things in the CPG space. Um, and again, that's a whole nother problem to solve as well, because you may not have, you, you got to really pay attention to that point. Are, are my customers going to buy this product? Does this stuff go together? Does it make sense when I'm scaling in this manner? Uh, and not to mention all the other supply chain issues and all that stuff, but just again, um, recognizing when you maybe have a fundamental shift in your offering or you're going to have to do some stuff that takes some planning and it really takes some thoughtfulness and it may mean a slight shift over time in who's your most valuable customer or where you reach those customers. Right. So again, that's why you want to have folks like us around folks like you around folks uh, maybe in your organization that, that know where to look for these things have done this before because each stage of growth, I think presents its own challenge. So each time you're scaling, there's sort of a, a life cycle again, where I can kind of be in my teen years, but at some point I got to go adult now. And then there's things like that, that keep coming up where you're going to need different skills. You need a different kind of an organization and you need a different um, kind of planning cycle, I would say, to, to really understand the, the, the stress it's going to put on your organization. We got to do a wrap up at the end of this with all the analogies we used. It's I know I was, I was keeping like a counter. It's like a drinking game. <laughs> Most are pretty good. Most are pretty good on the fly. Analogies are tough to do. Um, let, let's shift a little bit into what you think is coming in 2022. Um, this is obviously the first episode we've released of 2022. So I want to kind of get your thoughts on customer behavior, on agency behavior. Do you think buyers have shifted to online purchases permanently do you think we'll go back to a brick and mortar? Do you think there's some sort of balance in there? What do you think? I don't think it'll be exactly what was before, right? Um, I think the pandemic stuff and all the things that have been going on in the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's permanently opened some doors that we thought maybe five or 10 years out, it accelerated those timelines. I do think, um, again, assuming you know we get to some sense of normalcy or whatever that means these days, I do think you already saw it even in the in the um, holiday buying this year. There's a little bit of an urge to go back into brick and mortar. Oh yeah, um, right. But at the same time, people are now used to pulling up at Target and just letting you know they're there and having you bring it to them. Right. I know in my own family, we're we're even in a non sort of ecom thing, but we're used to ordering, having you know DoorDash come or what have you. So this true omni-channel where the digital channels and the physical channels are mingled and intermixed, I think is here forever. And um, you're seeing in the way that agencies like us are having to think about things too, and even driving like the acquisition we're part of is now we have to think about this more holistically. So if you look in the history, right? Like when e-commerce was developing, um, 
it was often like stuck on the end, you know, like on the side of a, an existing business, a retail business. Totally. Yeah. And they did their own thing. And then it kind of became a little bit more integrated. Then like, ooh, now we can buy online, pick up in store. Um, now you just have to run your business. And all of this, like the customer, basically their expectations and, their, and the way they're going to demand things of you is changed completely. And they, they expect you to know who they are to the extent that they can leverage that to their advantage um, and, and to be treated well at everyone. And it, sh and it should feel consistent um, and convenient. You know, a lot of people are still working at home. Um, a lot of people are gonna have a blended, I think, life going forward at work and home. And I think you're gonna see this in the same way that they're buying behavior. Um, it's kind of like whenever I think of it, whatever feels today, I might wanna go out and go to the mall. Tomorrow I might wanna be home and just have it come. Um, and I think that's here forever. So for what that's worth, what the actual breakdown is, but I do feel like we took in about 18 months, it feels like five to seven years of acceleration, um, forward and just expectations and, and behavior. I agree. I definitely agree with a lot of that. Very, very insightful. Very well said. Couple closing questions here for you. Do some rapid fire. Um, what is a maybe like a current popular trend, either in e-commerce or the agency world, that you're seeing that's that's interesting to you? I think um, we're still dealing a lot of questions about headless and this kind of microarchitecture stuff from a technical perspective. So I don't know that it's interesting, interesting, but I think it's it's reflective of the fact that um, we're kind of moving into a way where you need plug and play. And the, again, the technology is almost less important than the business model itself. So I think that's, that's interesting. Um, Your take on headless is kind of then it's, it's beneficial, it's helpful, but it's not really going to solve anything or do anything. You still have to obviously have the products and the systems to work. Yeah. I think in the past, you know, we would have said, oh, this is the new thing. Everybody needs to go do this. Now I think headless is just one more arrow in the quiver to use another analogy. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> it's just another option. And you, it's another one of those Depends. What are you solving for? And I, I do think businesses are getting better about this, not just riding the bandwagon all the time, not just jumping on the latest buzzwords. They're going to ask questions about it. But, you know, there's implications to all those things. Um, but but at the same time, um, because things change so rapidly, I think there's no longer feeling like I'm going to have to go do this thing. It's going to take me 10 years to build it up and then whatever. It's more like I know that I might have to change in two years and that's OK. So I'm not going to spend a ton of money and everything on stuff that's that feels permanent. Um, so I would say underneath all of this is just a feeling that people are getting better at looking at business as valuing flexibility, adaptability, and, and being able to pivot to take advantage of things and try not to hardwire things to a way you're doing it right now. And I think that's a very, very good thing. Um, and so that also means you have to have a kind of lean organization. You have to have an organization that's based on data decision-making. And it means, um, you know, and it's a good way for, for folks like us because it means maybe you don't build out your org so much as leverage people when you need them. And then when you don't need them, you, you kind of pivot and do the next thing. Uh, it does help with those scale issues. Interesting. Interesting. I like that answer a lot. That's really good. Definitely interesting. Interesting. It's it's not a, not at all. And I'm going to start using arrow in the quiver as a new analogy. That's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Last one for you. What physical products do you subscribe to? Um, toiletries. So I like to, for some, probably because I work in D2C, I like to buy direct from manufacturers when I can for things like shaving cream and, 
and stuff like that. So grooming products. Um, uh, we do dog food as well. Like and we do um, meal kits. So I think, again, working household, everybody's kind of busy. I think those convenience things where I don't want to go to the store for the same things over and over. I might want to, when I'm trying on a new pair of shoes I've never done before or something like that. So we do a lot of that kind of um, meal stuff and, and food and just grooming products and those kind of basics. Awesome. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on the acquisition. Thank you. To have you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Always good to chat. We want to thank Doug once again for joining us. If you're interested in The Stable, you can head over to thestable.com. If you're looking for more of our episodes, check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe. And to get the latest episodes, remember to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. 